I know it's a bit hard to be in a profession that's not yet defined and means so many things to so many people, but it means that it's an opportunity to create it, to be whatever you want and to make a career that you would not necessarily be able to make in a more standard industry or more standard function. Welcome to CX Insights, the show where customer experience leaders and experts share expertise and insights to help all of us up-level our CX game. Brought to you by cxcommunity.org. Also known as CXC, cxcommunity.org is the world's largest community of technical CX professionals. At CXC, customer experience professionals share, connect, and learn from each other about CX platforms ranging from Adobe, Microsoft, ServiceNow to Zendesk, and many others. Become a member for free by subscribing at cxcommunity.org. As we dive into today's episode, we would appreciate it if you could like, comment, and share this show with your colleagues and friends. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Our guest for today's episode is Bethany Ayers. She is the Chief Revenue Officer and the Chief Customer Officer of Peak. Bethany, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Bethany, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, so as you said, I um, am Chief Customer Officer at Peak, and I'm also Chief Revenue Officer just because I'm looking for my replacement rather than trying to hold both roles at the same time, because um, my background is actually from sales, strategy, product marketing, and have found my way into looking after the totality of customers at Peak. Outstanding. And tell us a little bit about what Peak does. And I saw like you guys are in the enterprise AI space. So tell us a little bit more. So we primarily service customers that are about a billion turnover plus um, in retail manufacturing and CPG as our three main areas. Um, and we're working with customers to transform their businesses, placing AI at the heart of it um, within the entire value chain. It sounds a bit jargony to say that. So within from marketing through planning and um, supply chain and how we interconnect all of those three areas. So you can imagine there are some pretty big transformational um, projects that we're working on and solutions that we're delivering. Absolutely. This is such an exciting area and quite frankly, uh, there's a lot of interest from enterprise companies. It sounds like since it's a billion plus, you're mostly focusing on the large enterprise, maybe a little bit mid-market. Is that correct? It is. Um, and we've definitely, so I started at Peak two years ago. And at that point, we were like 100 million to a billion was our sweet spot. Mm. And we still have customers in that area. Um, but we have discovered that actually the customers who really want to work with us are the billion plus customers. And so we have been very much pulled upstream rather than making a strategic decision to do that. Oh, that's super cool. And it's really interesting to see that uh, discovery playing a role in how you're you know, looking at customers and uh, let's talk a little bit about the GTMN, the customer journey in this case, because especially when we're managing customers of those size, uh, you know, enterprise primarily, the buyer team are a, usually a different set of players than the team that actually consumes the product or consumes the AI and puts it to use. Um, I don't know if you're seeing some of that. Uh, I would love to know sort of how you are 
going about serving those customers across the life cycle if the buyers and consumers of the product are slightly different? They are definitely different. Um, so when we go in to sell, we're talking quite often to um, <clears throat> head of supply chain, CMO, head of merchandising, let's say, or head of planning. Um, but in order to get sign off and to really partner with Peak, they're bringing us up to the senior management, we're talking to boards. Um, and pretty much anybody who has a C in front of their title or pretty much anybody who has a head of in front of their title doesn't actually know what happens um, day to day in a business. So they have a very transformational forward looking view, wanting to move as fast as they possibly can. And then um, we have the discovering what's actually happening. Um, what are the processes that we actually need to enhance, augment, change in order to roll out um, the AI, say the AI, um, the technology within the solution mm -hmm. and then integrate it back in. And so we actually end up with a lot of change management and um, engagement with users as we're going through this process. So it becomes taking everybody along on the journey and then through QBRs, reporting back up to senior management what it is that we're actually achieving and the KPIs that we're delivering. But day to day, it's about understanding the process, process mapping, how people actually do their jobs and how we can make their jobs better. And get oh, very cool. So you, you guys are able to address the actual consumers through process changes, through change management, and of course, taking care of the buyers. Uh, through EBRs, QBRs, so that that's yeah. that sounds really good. You know, one of the intriguing things, at least for me in the space, is there's this promise of AI, which is, hey, let's deploy AI, we'll get so much value, or supply chain will be more efficient, or marketing will be more effective, and all of those things, right? And then there's the actual reality, which is, hey, we need to really have our data in the right place or our processes need to be well-defined before we even think about AI. So how do you guys work with enterprises who may be in different sort of stages of readiness for AI, for lack of a better word. Like they may like, they may want to yeah. deploy AI, but the way their infrastructure is, they may not be ready for AI. So how do you, how do you guys deal with that? Yeah, so that's definitely um, what we do all the time because nobody's ready. Like every single meeting we go into, the first thing you hear is, our data is an absolute mess. There's no way you could use our data. It's very embarrassing, the state of it. But you hear it every single time. And so you're like, no, no, no. Like your data is fine. We can help you. We can get better with it. But the good news with AI versus BI is BI, everything needs to be perfect. You have to reconcile 100% because it matters when you're reporting how much money you've made you know, to the pence that you're accurate. Whereas AI, it's so much broader than that. And a lot of it is predictive that you, your data needs to be accessible, but it doesn't need to be perfect. And we can actually use algorithms to connect your data to then run the modeling on top of it. So people's data is a lot closer to ready than they think. So that's, that would be lesson number one that we hear about. And then the other one is taking people along on the journey. And that's actually where things fail rather than process or technology. And that's the area that we focus on because if people aren't going to buy into it or view AI as really scary and going to take their jobs, mm -hmm. they will 
um, like set up mines every bit of the way and push you out. So it's about getting people involved, their buy-in and their understanding that we're actually gonna make their lives easier, um, but they will still have a job that um, we're, we're focusing in on. And, um, and it's that element that we talk to and we actually talk with senior management about, and we very much talk about being the partner in the AI journey. So we know tons about operationalizing AI and they know tons about their business, whatever their business might be. And it's, convert, it's the conversion of those two together that means we can do something amazing. Amazing, yeah, I love it. Because uh, I think it's really important for customers to understand that yes, they may be in different stage of readiness, but AI is there to help not replace them, especially in enterprise AI. And quite frankly, a lot of your customers would have the domain expertise and you bring in that AI infrastructure and technology to help them basically make make their areas more effective. You know, w one interesting thought that came to my mind as I was uh, researching questions for you, Bethany, was you're the CRO, you are the chief customer officer as well. So you're you're basically having both roles, at least at this point, until you find your you know the right CRO for the company. But what's your perspective on this unique role? I mean, on one hand, you have a great vantage point that you can engage customers across the life cycle, the pre-sales as well as post-sales. On the other hand, do you feel sometimes that you're uh, negotiating with yourself? <laughs> so I do have a leadership team. So marketing, sales, customer success, and then our customer operations, our data scientists all are under my remit. And so it's not just me negotiating with myself, it's it's my team negotiating with each other. If you think about the reason why we're all working and what we're trying to do is grow an amazing company that we all love working for and help transform every business and move everybody into the fourth industrial revolution, it shouldn't be around which KPI. So do I sell more, but then actually end up struggling with churn or having unhappy customers? Do I want to make sure we can deliver 100% of every, every promise and therefore kind of underwhelm in the sales and not sell as much? And neither one of those is best for peak. And so if we're all looking about what's best for the company, it's actually working together and pushing a little bit to get that little bit extra growth, but in a way that is deliverable. And so I think it's very important and actually really enjoying having my role where I'm looking at and making sure that we are thinking about the customer, thinking about customers' outcomes, what value they're driving, working with Peak, and also then being able to deliver that and drive those outcomes and spend time working as a team to help customers rather than as a team in fighting over which KPI is more important. Hey, I'm sure you're enjoying this episode of CX Insights. Here's a quick word from one of our sponsors, Enterprise CX. Enterprise CX is helping some of the world's leading brands to manage their digital customer experience across the lifecycle. Whether it's implementing Adobe technologies for acquiring customers or managing customer success platforms for retaining customers, Enterprise CX can help you create more customer value and drive business upside. Find out more at enterprisecx.io. Now let's go back to CX Insights. Absolutely, and it's great that you're helping them sort of get aligned in the right direction and creating outcomes and value for the customer. Which brings me to my next question, which is, you know, 
almost every customer is interested in value and enterprise customers even more so and looking at more sort of tangible value or at least proofs of, hey, are we getting the ROI? Are we creating more value within the company? And maybe even for their customers and partners, how do you work with customers wearing uh, different hats and un helping customers understand that, yes, they are getting value. Here's the tangible or sometimes intangible view of that value. How, how do you guys do that with customers? So part of it, and I guess maybe the benefit of my wider role is that we can make sure to build it in from the very start and how we engage with customers and what are the use cases that we're discussing and the business cases that we build in. And then those use cases and business cases and KPIs and metrics that are recorded at the beginning of the sales cycle are then carried through throughout the entirety of the oh, life cycle of a customer. So you guys actually take a snapshot of the business performance now versus later and kind of do a compare, is that how that works? We do if we're you know, building a business case. So what we often do in our pre-sales is get access to customers' data and run analysis of where and create the business case through real data. And so then we're able to have a snapshot that we can talk through. And then the other one that we use is just something that I think all customers, not all customers, all listeners can do is we, it sounds a bit consulting-y, but we just use it as a concept of a vision and scope from the start. And so we have a living document that is our vision and scope from the time it enters pipeline all the way through to delivery. So we have everything captured in a single living document that we're sharing with customers along the way. So it's very easy to demonstrate and, and explain value across the whole process. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, as you rallied your team internally and then you've delivered value to customers and you worked with customers across the life cycle, what is probably the most difficult thing that you've learned, like something that has been super challenging. And it's almost asked, like you may, you may have asked this question yourself, like, why are the customers doing this? Or why is this happening? Or what is like the number one most difficult thing you've learned in the process? And of course, you guys must have overcome that. But I would love to know kind of what's been the challenge in the space. So I don't know if it's like my number one challenge, but the thing that I think I've been most surprised by coming from a very commercial sales background into the world of customer operations is how not commercial people tend to be. And so it was just things like we would go for customer reviews, like on a weekly basis, we run through our customers, what's happening with them. And the report didn't list how much R they were. And just like nobody in the customer team was thinking about the impact of what's the relative value of these customers to peak. And I found that very surprising because you know, obviously coming from a sales and marketing world where everything is measured and everybody mm -hmm. cares about how the dollars every day, how that could even be was very surprising to me. And so I don't want to change the customer success team where they, you know, all customers are important. We want to delight and make all of our customers successful, but we also need to have it in context of value to peak. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that was for me, and maybe I have, I, we'll see if I've hit the right compromise there, but I think everybody should be thinking about contract value 
I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I think that makes does make a difference. And I think there is also a couple of different seg- pieces of segmentation there. One is, yes, large customers who may have large contracts with us. On the other hand, there might be customers who may not have a large contract value. However, their potential to grow is super high, which means we could be potentially be able to do more business with these customers, even though their contract value today may be low. And those may be sort of high potentials as well to think about from a customer success standpoint. Do do you agree or do you see that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. But I think it's important to have those types of thoughts rather than just how do I make this customer successful at all cost versus with finite resource? How do we make this customer successful? But this one really successful at, at all cost. Oh, I totally agree. And I, I think there's something to be said about, you know, I don't, it's it's not always that customer is expecting delight in every single transaction or engagement with you, but they're definitely expecting value. So I think uh, looking at customer value versus customer delight is probably also a useful way to look at it. Definitely. Like surprising and delighting is a nice icing on the cake, but if you don't deliver value, they just don't really care about those other pieces. Absolutely. So now that we're talking a little bit about customer success as well, and then of course you've got the sales team, the marketing team, uh, et cetera, with you, I think that leaves maybe product teams and marketing, marketing to with you, but product and finance maybe a little bit outside of your particular domain at this point. So how do you coordinate with the product teams on one hand and let's say the finance teams or other teams that are out there how do you coordinate and make sure that they are aligned, they're engaged with the, with the goals and objectives that you're driving for your customers? Well, so we have a senior leadership team. We call it the management team because we're quite humble at peak. But just if I call it a management team, you might be a bit confused. So I'm translating. And that is so CIO, CTO, CFO. And so those, that's where we, CEO, obviously. And that's where we align to agree the overarching strategy and objectives. We run OKRs like every other company, I suspect in Silicon Valley and every other tech company, except for Salesforce. And so that really helps us stay aligned. And then we have different interconnects across the teams. So product works with product marketing, which works to then our marketing piece and enabling the sales team customer success feeds more the other way into product for customer requirements. Our data science team are the biggest users of our products. So they are, you know, end users feeding up loads of information and then product send the results back down and some training and, and new feature releases. And then finance sits on the forecast calls. We have chats with finance quite regularly on, on, what we're expecting and do joint end of month reporting. So we know all of our numbers are the same and our understanding of the business is the same. And then the people team obviously helps support everybody. I knew there was, I was forgetting how to forget the people team. So the people team make sure that everything is consistent in the way that we train and develop and support. And how are you guys thinking about sort of hiring and retaining sort of the talent pool? 
because you have a lot of talent, but you got customer success, customer operations, and of course, marketing, of course, a sales organization as well. How do you how do you look at this as a strategic you know, dimension of your company, which it is, right? That talent is exactly. like probably the number one thing that is like an asset as you deliver value to your customers. It really is. So we both have, we have a standard process for hiring. So it's like a first round interview chat around values and competency and make sure that you, you fit both of those. You can do your job and you have the values, shared values with Peak. Second round is an assessment. And so everybody actually does some level of test, including customer success. It's not just about a presentation. It's a proper couple hour assessment on day. So you don't get a lot of time to prepare. And then a third interview with a founder, again, to, to make sure that that culture fit is there or that values fit is there. So that's, and that process goes for all of our roles and we've gotten really good at that. So we're bringing on currently 10 to 20 new, well, 10 people a month, probably 10 to 15 a month. So, so we're finding everybody, everybody goes through um, a boot camp, and that's not just sales, but the entire customer team and anybody else for the first week and then the second week a specialist. And then one of our values is curious and we view that as an essential part of Absolutely. learning about AI, growing, developing, not being afraid of change, mm-hmm. curious to learn. We have a big L&D program, half, so for our more technical uh, roles, half a day a week is on professional development for everybody else. And then for our managers right now, we have a weekly manager development course, and then every manager is responsible for running at least monthly training courses with their teams. And so we are growing and developing everybody as quickly as we can, because you can't, you don't have the luxury of going out and hiring a bunch of experts in AI because an enterprise AI, because it's pretty new. And so we need to definitely build our own. That's outstanding. And it's great to hear that you you guys are not only having a process for hiring, which is working for you, but you're also investing in those folks as they come on board and getting, getting them onboarded, making sure they stay curious and help your customers. You know, I'm interested to know sort of since you're both the CRO and the CCO to see how you guys are viewing business going forward. Are you guys seeing like tremendous growth and opportunity in the enterprise AI space? Do you see maybe some reserved optimism there? Like what, what is your outlook now for the next so many quarters or so given where we are with COVID and everything? Yeah, that would be, so you have to remember we're in the UK. So not only do we have COVID, but we have impending Brexit and like no real understanding or guidance as to what's going to happen with Brexit. So everything's business as usual. Other than that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that we're hitting our pipeline targets. We're having amazing conversations with amazing brands. COVID has definitely, and I'm sure you've heard this before, sped up the need for digital transformation. People are transforming in three months, but they normally take five years. We're seeing all of that, but I also think we're starting to experience some headwinds. So we had a furlough program in the UK that was ended 
and then kind of brought on a little bit, but not entirely. There's going to be a lot of job losses. We didn't have the economy grow at the rate we were expecting Mm -hmm. Brexit. And so there is a tremendous amount of desire to buy enterprise AI mixed with, are we allowed to spend at this exact moment in time? Because we don't know what's going to happen. And then there's also, of course, the US election, which affects everybody. So we'll see what happens in three weeks. Not to possibly have to- That uncertainty still exists, but it's great to know that there is optimism and there is interest in enterprise AI. And quite frankly, personally, I think this is this space is poised to explode. There's going to be a lot more AI and intelligence being driven in the enterprise. So this is, as you know, Bethany, this has been super valuable. Let's wrap up with this particular question. So if you were to share one piece of advice for the listener, what would that be? So assuming that the listener is a customer success professional, (laughs) my one piece of advice is to embrace the uncertainty that is customer success. I know it's a bit hard to be in a profession that's not yet defined and means so many things to so many people, but it means that it's an opportunity to create it, to be whatever you want and to make a career that you would not necessarily be able to make in a more standard industry or more standard function. So if you're bright, and talented and creative and have loads of energy and good ideas, customer success is definitely your oyster. <laughs> Go and do something with it. Outstanding. I love that. And it's a great feel. It's uh, almost like you can pretty close to write your own job description. You can do so many things. You can be creative. Great piece yeah. of advice, Bethany. And for, for folks to follow you, what's the best way for them to do that? Twitter, LinkedIn, where do you live? LinkedIn. I I deleted Twitter many years ago. I don't quite get it. So <laughs> LinkedIn is definitely the place to be. Awesome. Yeah. Bethany, it was so valuable to have you on the show. Thank you for your expertise and advice. Take care. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ajit. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us in this episode of CX Insights. If you found the show valuable, can I ask you to submit a review for the podcast or add a comment? I'd greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to feature a guest or dive into a particular topic, please email us at cxc at cxcommunity.org. Thank you for being a CX leader and for making a difference in the CX community.